on page 1160 in the Church Bibles. Page 1160, and I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. Two Corinthians three verse seven. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Good morning, friends. I am Jack, and it is a a privilege, really, to be here as we come to God's Word together. Over the past few years, most of us have learned that relating at a distance is something that's not easy, nor ideal. Lockdown life showed us that we have wonderful technology for connecting from afar, FaceTime, Zoom, the good old-fashioned phone call, if that's imaginable for some of you. Those things are a good lifeline for which we are thankful for, and yet, as some of you who are online now, I'm sure, are aware, these things are good and yet no substitute for being in a room together, sharing a meal, laughing with one another in real time without the lag. My family and I are rediscovering this all over again in a new way at the moment. We left Australia around three months ago and left many dear friends and most of our extended family behind. I'm looking forward to next weekend because my mum is coming to visit. She's coming out to spend a few weeks with us here, which is is wonderful because it means no longer will the grandkids get to see Nana on a screen. They'll get to give her a hug, uh, as will I. We're looking forward to that because it is hard to be at a distance. You want to gather together, to be close, to be near to those whom you love. Really, that is the big theme as we come to the scriptures this morning. If that's true with one another... How much more so with our Lord and God? We come into the Bible to see how 
at the end of the day, it is a story about how God takes us from being far away to being near. It's a story about how God is so glorious that we cannot stand in his presence and deserve only to be cast outside, but that God in his glory has come to us, that we too might be made glorious like him. The way we're seeing that this morning is by shining the spotlight on the figure of Moses. In our Advent series, we have been working our way through this cast of characters in the Old Testament, through Adam and Abraham, and now we come to Moses, not just to see what the scriptures have to say about these figures in their own light, but to see how they point us as we anticipate the coming of our Lord. So three points for us today. Moses, the man who saw God's glory. Jesus, the man who is full of God's glory. And Jesus, the Lord who is changing us into glory. That's where we're headed. We start with Moses. Moses, the man who saw the glory of God. Many of you will be familiar with the broad contours of Moses' story. He was the baby boy who was placed in the basket in the bulrushes, found by the Egyptian princess and raised in the household of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He was the man who was born when God's people Israel found themselves as slaves in that land. Moses was the man God appeared to and chose to lead his people out of the household of slavery. Moses, the man who said, To Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Moses was the man who led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and to that mountain in the desert, Mount Sinai, where astonishingly God came down in fire and cloud to meet with his people. And there's so much more you could say about Moses. It's it's a huge part of the scriptures that it's a, a mammoth task to try and squeeze into one sermon today. But one little passage that does give us a good snapshot of who Moses is and what he came to do is the passage we read before in Exodus chapter 33. So it would be great to have that passage open in front of you, the, the Bible uh, on the pews or on the sheet, it's there as well. And this is a passage that doesn't so much describe one thing that happened, but it's a, it's a thing that continued to happen. It's a summary of the way that God related to his people over a time when they were there at the mountain. It's a day in the life of Israel, if you like, at Mount Sinai. And one of the first things you notice is there is this distance here between God and his people. Read with me from verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. We see here Moses has this tent called the Tent of Meeting, and it's the place where he would go to meet with none other than God himself. You can imagine his morning routine, very strict. That's the kind of nine o'clock meeting you don't want to be late for, right? Notice that this is... Well, it's not the the tabernacle which comes later in the story of Exodus, which is also called the tent of meeting, quite confusingly. This is a different tent, because you see where it is. This is a tent that's not in the middle of the people. This is the tent that's outside. It's away from all the other tents where the people live, outside the camp, off in the distance. And that's the point. The tent of meeting where God meets with Moses is not close by, in the middle of the people. It is some distance away. And when Moses goes to meet with God... He doesn't bring the rest of the people with him. They all unzip the flaps on their own tents and stand at the door and poke their heads out as they watch Moses go to this big, important meeting while they stay behind. 
You get a sense here that God stands at a distance from the people. Moses is there as the, the mediator, the, the middleman who represents the people to God and God to the people, but the people at large do not have God their presence present in their midst, close at hand. And at first that might surprise us when we, we sing so readily and speak so often of our God who draws near to us, it, it might seem striking to see God so aloof and standoffish. But it makes perfect sense once you see where we're up to in the unfolding story of the scriptures here. Earlier in the book of Exodus, you see how God saves the people out of Egypt. And here at Mount Sinai, he tells them, I have saved you and I am going to be your God and you will be my people. He gives them the Ten Commandments, which we have spent so much time thinking about this past term. And in those commandments, of course, God says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to a graven image of anything you make with your hands. And straight away, Exodus 32, the chapter just before ours, the people turn their backs on God. They bow down and worship a golden cow statue instead. And God is angry that his people have betrayed him. God is so furious that he all but wipes the people out on the spot. And it's only because Moses stands in the gap and prays for the people's forgiveness that the story continues at all. God is still bearing with this rebellious people and he hasn't given up on them, but he stands at a distance because the holy God will not live at close quarters with this sinful people. And there is a massive lesson for us in that, that sin separates people from God. It's something that we might say so often that it becomes a truism that just it's hard to appreciate fully but here you see this vivid picture the the tent outside the camp shows you that dishonoring god and when we turn our back on him and decide to make our own little idols in our hearts whatever it is that we want to bow down to the approval of others money fame whatever it is those things mean that god is separated from us that he separates himself from us that we have no right to stand before him in his presence that all we deserve is to be shut out at a distance. That's where the people at large are at. Meanwhile, what is happening with Moses? Moses is the one man who does get up close and personal with God's glory. This is the day in the life of Israel, as I said. Moses comes out of the camp, and then verse 9, as Moses went into the tent... The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. While the people stand away and look on, Moses goes in and the cloud comes down. Throughout the book of Exodus, this cloud represents the very presence of God. Not as if God is suddenly contained in a cloud, as if he ceases to be everywhere else. But you have this this vivid sign that God is especially present there with Moses in this concentrated way. And the cloud is a picture of what the Bible calls God's glory. All throughout the book, you see the cloud called the glory of the Lord. And again, it's another of these phrases that just becomes so readily at hand for Christians. The glory of God. What do we mean? It's a phrase that is packed with so much meaning that we won't pretend to try and exhaust here. But to start with, the basic image of glory is brightness and radiance and power. Think if you accidentally look straight at the sun, probably not so much on a day like this, you might be hard-pressed to go and find the sun if you 
head outside today, but imagine those 40 degree middle of the summer heat wave days and, and you look straight at the sun that is shining with such intense brilliance that you can't take it all in. You have no choice but to squint or to be blinded. That's a little like the glory of God, this display of brilliant, forceful power that shines out into the world with strength. Moses is the man who gets to look upon God's glory. The text tells us regularly he goes out to the tent and experiences the glory of God come to him in a cloud. Later on in the chapter, Moses will ask God to show him his glory. And some of you will be familiar with the story. The Lord himself passes by Moses as he shields him in a cleft in the rock from the sheer violent power of the glory of God. And you read in chapter 34 how that experience has this lasting impact on Moses so that he comes down the mountain with his face glowing. He's walking around with his face shining with this radiance and he has to cover his face with a veil to stop the people gawking at him. That's just the reflected afterglow of the sheer power of the glory of God. The amazing thing is that Moses isn't destroyed by that intense experience. Our text even describes what it was like to be close to this God, and that in itself may be surprising. Verse 11, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I find that verse a beautiful one. It's this picture of intimacy, God speaking to Moses in this close and personal way, the, the glory of the Lord that reckons with sinners in a way that they can barely stand before it. And here you have Moses knowing what it's like to know God and to be known by God. It holds out the hope that that kind of fellowship with God is somehow possible. And yet at this stage in the story, that's a fellowship which is opened up to just one man, while the people at large stand at a distance. This is what we've seen. The story of Moses, it reminds us just how sheer and powerful and glorious God is. And it also reminds us of how far full we short of that glory. That we too are sinners who stand outside the camp. Or really, in the camp while God is outside. Sinners who cannot stand in his presence. Moses, the man who saw God's glory. But now, as we come to anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus... Let's consider how those themes are fulfilled in this one who was to come. Jesus, the man full of the glory of God. At this point, it'd be great to flick in your Bible. We're going to look at two New Testament passages. One is John chapter 1. We go for you to open the Bible and flick there. The other is from 2 Corinthians, which we'll look at a little later on the sheet. But firstly, one, uh, John chapter 1. A famous verse that many of you will know by heart, I'm sure. This is a whole chapter that is full of quotes and allusions to Moses. Verse 14 is the one that I'd like to pick up. John writes about Jesus as the Word, the Word of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Many echoes of Moses in this chapter. In this one, first of all, we hear that Jesus comes to make his dwelling among us, in our midst. In the original language here, that word for dwelling is related to the word for tent. You could say that Jesus became flesh and set up his tent among us. He he made his camp with us. Not outside the camp this time, but in our midst. 
Jesus comes to us as God with us. He has drawn near to us to be present among his people. Even we, unglorious, sinful people like the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus came to deal with all that, to do away with the problem of our sin, to pay the price and wash us clean so that he might draw near to us. On our own, we could never draw near to the glorious God, but instead the God of glory has drawn near to us. He came and dwelt among us. That's the first echo of Moses, fulfilled in Christ. The second, in Jesus, we have now seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. The Israelites saw God's glory, again, at a distance, in a far-off cloud, this smoky, vaporous way, shrouded in thick darkness, or in the afterglow reflected in Moses' face. But now, God's glory has appeared in human form. And as you read the pages of the Gospels, you can see the glory of God radiating out in the person of Jesus. See God's glorious goodness shining forth in Jesus as he has compassion on the sick and the needy. See God's glorious wisdom burning brightly as Jesus answers the cunning questions his opponents throw at him. See God's glorious power glittering as Jesus rules the creation, calming the storm with a word. In all those ways, Jesus gives you this impression of the glory of God coming in its fullness. And even all of that, It's just a foretaste of what the world will see when Jesus comes again. As we have sung already, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead. In Jesus, we've seen God's glory, not just a glimpse, in fullness. That's the the second echo of Moses we see. And the third, at Mount Sinai, again, it was only Moses who had that intimate fellowship with the Lord, who would speak to him face to face like a friend. But Jesus has come to extend that kind of friendship to each one of us. It's later in John's Gospel, and in chapter 15, he says to his disciples, as he says to all who will trust in him, I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends, because I've told you everything I've learned from my Father. You and I are invited in to experience this profound and personal loving friendship. Friends with God is the kind of phrase that we we teach children in our our AS kids in Sunday school to help them understand what it means for God to draw near to them. But it's not just a Sunday school phrase. You and I are invited genuinely to be friends with our Lord Jesus. To invite to know Jesus not just as Lord and not just as Saviour, but as friend. As we sing in that old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend indeed. The Israelites had Moses as the middleman. We are all invited to this personal relationship with Jesus, who is the middleman, who is also God, who brings us into that kind of fellowship. Tracing this line from Moses, I think it helps us so greatly, because without it, it is so easy for us to take for granted what we have in Christ. We can speak of having a personal relationship with Jesus so quickly and so easily without really appreciating exactly what it is that God has done. Picture the tent outside the camp. Picture how far away people were from God and see just how much Jesus has done to draw near to us, to make us close. What a glorious thing. In Moses' day, you would have had to stand there and look on. Now Jesus is there present in your heart by his spirit. In Moses' day, 
only Moses got to go and talk with God. Now you can talk to the Lord Jesus anytime you like. He hears our prayers. Perhaps that's the thing that could fuel our prayer lives for today and this week, knowing that whatever is on your heart, God has invited us to come and speak to him as one to a friend. Moses was the man who saw God's glory. Jesus, the man full of God's glory. And now for one last point this morning. Jesus is the Lord who is also changing us into glory. Turn back to that second passage, or it's on the sheet as well, from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Where the striking thing here is that not only is Jesus full of God's glory, but he also invites us to share in that too. The Apostle Paul here picks up that image of Moses' face shining with radiance because of his encounter with the glory of the Lord. But he goes on to say something striking, that all of that is nothing compared to the glory of the ministry of Christ's Spirit. From verse 7, read with me. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? God's law came through Moses at Sinai, and Paul calls it here the ministry that brought death. Not because God's word is bad. God's word is holy and good, but it shows us how far we fall short of God's perfection, and so it condemns us. The law shows us sin, it can't deal with the problem of sin, and so it is a ministry that condemns us. But Paul says even that ministry is the one that showed forth God's bright, powerful glory in the face of Moses. And if that condemnation ministry was glorious, how much more wonderful is the bright, shining goodness that we see in the ministry of Jesus, which does solve the problem of our sin, which does bring God's own spirit to take up his residence in our hearts. The profound glory that Moses saw was just this tiny foretaste of what we can each know ourselves in the work of Jesus. And that's really where it comes home for us at the end of our passage, because this is the glory that we are invited to share in too. Verse 18 at the end. And we all, that's everyone, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's saying that we are blessed with these, this unveiled access to the Lord, which the Israelites could have only dreamed of. They were set back at a distance. They, they were veiled from it, even by the veil that Moses wore. You could kind of imagine the Israelites all had to wear dark sunglasses to even catch a glimpse of God's glory. It was that bright and intense. But here Paul says, the sunglasses are off. The veil has been stripped back because of what Jesus has done. And if you turn to the Lord Jesus, the dark glasses are removed for you, and you get to see Jesus as he really is. You get to know God as he is. And as we look to Jesus and contemplate his glory, the wonderful thing we get told here is that we are not left the same. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. What that means is that we are being remade to look less like our old, inglorious, sinful selves and made to look more and more like Jesus in his beautiful glory. 
And again, don't let the enormity of that be lost to you. Remember where we've come from. Israel, seeing God's glory as this distant, awesome, terrible, unapproachable thing, not only are we now invited to behold the glorious one, but we're actually called up and, and, and brought up to participate in that glory. Notice, last of all, how that transformation happens. It is as we contemplate the Lord's glory. It's as we look at Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, as we pay attention to him and set our minds on the things above. As you look to Jesus, you will become like him. Transformation doesn't happen just by our working at it, just by us trying to pull our socks up and try harder which is unfortunately what it's so easy for us to fall into trying to do. I wonder for you, as you look back at 2022, maybe this is a year where you have grown as a Christian and become more like your Lord Jesus in character and patience and gentleness. If so, praise the Lord who transforms. Or maybe this is a year where you feel like you have stagnated. The fight against sin is two steps forward, 18 steps back. If anything, you feel like you are less patient than you were last year or more grumbling or less thankful or more struggles with sexual morality and lying and greed. Whatever it is in those moments where we take stock and we look back and think that who I am is who I don't want to be, it can be so easy for us to then try and summon more internal resources. I just need to look down within myself, summon more self-discipline, try harder, be better. Can I gently suggest, brother, sister, if you are looking down at yourself to try and change yourself, then you are looking in the wrong place. What we've read this morning shows us that the place to look is to look up, to look to Jesus, to gaze upon his beauty and his glory, to think less of yourself and to think more of him. That is how transformation happens. As we behold the beautiful character of God shining forth in the face of Christ, as we come to him in the word, as we come to him in prayer, as we set our heart on things above and forget ourselves, that is the way forward to see ourselves transformed. So as we look forward, may we make 2023, a year where we seek more and more to fill our gaze with Jesus, the Lord of glory. For as we see him, we will be like him. And let us pray to that end. Our Father, we praise you in the wondrous and beautiful and terrifying power of your glory. We thank you that you've revealed glimpses of it to us in your word. We know that by rights we deserve to stand afar, cut off, separated, because we fall so far short of your glory. But we praise you that you have drawn near to us in Christ. Thank you that Jesus has dwelt among us in our midst. Thank you that he dwells in us still in our hearts by faith. And we pray that you would help us to keep looking to him and that you might transform us into his image with ever-increasing glory. Help us to look on Jesus that we might be like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.